0: In 2022, there were only 15 days when police did not shoot and kill someone in the United States, according to a Washington Post database. Also, according to the Washington Post, this year, law enforcement has murdered 708 folks. That is an increase of 17 people since our last roundup. And we don't even know most of their names. There were no marches, rallies, rebellions, or hashtags for them. Most of their families grieved in silence and solitude. It is critical to understand that police murders are just the tip of an egregious iceberg of transgressions against our people. Law enforcement serves as a militarized, occupying army in our communities and neighborhoods. They racially profile, sexually assault, and wrongfully incarcerate our folks. If we don't know what's happening, then we can't fight back. We can't adequately organize a response. So every week on Law and Disorder, we kick off our Thursdays with a roundup of news related to state violence. We hope this segment serves to expose, agitate, and build. This is the State Terror Roundup for the week of October 23rd, 2023. Details from authorities in Homestead, Miami, about an officer-involved fatal shooting remain scarce. The family of 24-year-old son and brother, Daniel Allen Kemp had a history of mental health issues and was murdered by police. The family is grieving and wondering why he's dead. Well, and I say this with tenderness, he is dead because upwards of 25% of all people murdered in this country by cops have mental health issues, which is why we should engage folks struggling with those issues with care and compassion, not cops and cages. Quote, we cry. She had a cheerful Janitsi Rosette, Kemp's mother. We get angry. We cry. We get angry. It's been terrible. End quote. She goes on to say he was not a violent child who would cause harm to anyone. He was depressed. He said he didn't want to live anymore. Homestead police told CBS News Miami that they have a history of responding to calls at the family's home. They say officers were called to the house on Sunday afternoon and tried to avoid a quote unquote lethal intervention. Okay. So they knew this kid. They knew He was struggling. If that's the case, that they should have known how to approach him with care, why was lethality anywhere on the table? Apparently, 24-year-old Kempf had something called a Baker Act. He was Baker Acted. I have never heard of this, but apparently Florida law allows law enforcement to temporarily detain an individual for up to 72 hours for a mental health evaluation. He tried to kill himself three or four weeks ago, said his brother. He left a suicide note. We just wanted to help him. I cannot tell you how many times I have had grieving families say that to me. They just called for help. They had no one else to call. First, let me say to those families, it is not your fault. Second, let me remind the Bay Area, you do have another number to call. Mental Health First is open Friday and Saturday, 2 p.m. to 2 a.m. The number is 510-599-MH19. Source for this story comes from CBS News, Miami. Modesto has agreed to pay $450,000 to settle a lawsuit in the 2016 fatal shooting by police officers of an intoxicated, distraught 52-year-old woman who they say charged one of the officers with a knife. Former officer Joseph Lamancia is one of the officers named in the lawsuit. The police department fired him in March 2021 after he fatally shot someone else named Trevor Siever in December of 2020. That's an important point, y'all. The majority of cops who kill have usually killed before, and once they start killing, they don't stop. The then-Oakland Police Department officer Miguel Masso, who murdered 18-year-old Alan Blueford by shooting him in the back as he ran away, had four bodies on his jacket at the time, and then after the community pushed him out of Oakland, he went on to another town up north and continued his rampage. Trevor Seaver was Officer Mancha's fourth fatal officer-involved shooting during his dozen years as a Modesto officer. Prosecutors cleared him in three of the shootings, but charged him with voluntary manslaughter in Seaver's death. Modesto agreed in April to pay $7.5 million to settle a wrongful death lawsuit brought against the city by Seaver's family. The Superior Court Judge Carrie Stevens ruled in July that Mancha would not stand trial and see for death because he had a reasonable fear for his safety. Yeah, okay. Mancha's criminal defense attorney has said the former officer is seeking to give his job back through arbitration. City Attorney Jose Sanchez provided this statement Friday, quote, In the interest of bringing an end to the litigation, the parties have mutually agreed to global settlement of all claims for $450,000. The settlement is not an admission of liability by the defendants, end quote. Besides LaMantia, the lawsuit named Sergeant Alex Bettis and Officer Michael Callahan. The police department determined the shooting was within its policy, and the district attorney's office determined it was justified. Same old tape, same old story. Bettis now works as an investigator for the district attorney's office, and Callahan recently retired. That murderer then is living off of, you guessed it, Modesto taxpayer dollars. Source, Yahoo News. Family and friends of the man shot and killed by a San Antonio police officer early Monday morning are demanding transparency after hearing conflicting stories about how the shooting unfolded. San Antonio Police Chief William McManus said 34-year-old Ruben Garcia was shot following a chase and struggle at an apartment complex. However, the chief said the information he released at the scene is preliminary and could change. Yep, they need a minute to get their facts straight, y'all. Jesse Sanchez was hanging out with Garcia minutes before the shooting. He said Jesse was walking to the corner store after a few minutes... Uh, He saw him being chased by police. He said Garcia was hit by the taser and on the ground face down. Quote, we could hear my friend going, uh, the cops go, don't move. And right when my friend tried to move a little bit, he just started shooting him in the back. Boom, boom, shot him four times in the back, Sanchez said. Another witness who lives at the apartment complex next door said she saw the struggle that led up to the shooting as she was sitting on her balcony. She said he was trying to put him in handcuffs. I'm not sure if he had both handcuffs because I know he bent down and was over him for a good minute. And then we backed up. The witness said, I didn't see Ruben get up, move or nothing. I just saw the cop move back and start shooting him. That witness took video of the crime scene. She said she did not know Garcia personally, but wanted to make sure his family knew what she saw. The mother of Garcia's five children said she is now left wondering what exactly happened to her children's father. Quote, we just want answers. He was a good person, end quote, said Sabrina Carrion. Source K-E-N-S 5.0. Rylan Wilder was an innocent bystander when police chased a bank robbery suspect into a music shop on Chicago's northwest side. Wilder was caught in the crossfire and was mistakenly shot in the arm by the Plains Police Officer. He was just 15 at the time. After 18 surgeries and three years of physical therapy, his dreams of becoming a professional musician can finally resume. He says he's doing a lot better now. He says he's trying to get back to a normal life by playing guitar, drums, and focusing on school. Wilder said he was worried about losing the ability to play musical instruments after the incident. He says that music is the biggest thing he does in his life. He also said it took a long time to recover, but he is happy he is able to continue with his passion for music. Last week, Wilder and his family were able to reach a settlement with the Plains Police Department for $1.9 million, but he wishes greater action would have come from this incident, saying, quote, I think what would have given me more closure is greater action and policy changes that would prevent this from happening to someone else, end quote say that one more again wilder source abc7 a 16 year old indigenous boy has died in a western australian hospital one week after being found unresponsive inside a maximum security prison cleveland dodd was one of more than a dozen youth detainees being held at the cost prison outside perth where he was found by staff in his cell there will be a mandatory inquest to investigate the circumstances that led to dodd's death a lot of good that'll do Dodd's family has called for immediate action and answers from the government. In August, the Western Australian government revealed that there had been three suicide attempts and 13 incidents of minor self-harm by children transferred to the adult prison since mid-July after being transferred there from the state's only juvenile detention centre. Banksia Hill, which is also facing a series of human rights concerns, Question, y'all. Why are there children in adult prisons? We recently saw that happen in Angola, the infamous torture chamber that used to be a slave plantation in Louisiana. The youth were left in their cells, not fed, suicidal, and assaulted by the guards. Not too long ago, the judge who ruled they could be transferred there ordered the state to remove them immediately, stating that they, the state, had not kept their promises about taking care of the children in Angola. Jeez, judge, you think? Source the crime report. This has been the State Terror Roundup for the week of October 23rd, 2023. State Terror Roundup soundtrack provided by Coffee Brown, an Oakland musician, singer, and songwriter who has been a force in the Bay Area hip hop and soul scene since the early 1990s. You can check her out at kofybrown.com, and her website and socials are linked from our site at kpfa.org. Shout out to my producer, Jesse Strauss, for curating the content for this segment. You've been listening to Law & Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law & Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawandisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA, that's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area.